Fairly quickly, and I'm not talking about you know hours or days, but as time, I, the way I describe grief is there's an acute grief that you feel you know at the moment of loss, and then time begins to to do its thing, and ultimately the rough edges of grief become smoother; they get smoothed out by time. That voice there was Michael Spain. He is an New York Times best-selling author. He is also a speaker and someone that has experienced very intense pain and suffering and loss in this life, but has come through it with wisdom that I think all of us are going to benefit. So I'm glad that you're sitting at the table with Michael and I today. My name is Danny. Welcome to 2024 in our second season of the Open Table Collective podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Open Table, you can go to theopentablecollective.com. You can also join us on Instagram where we carry on some of these conversations. You can also join us on Facebook. We just love to stay connected with you. If you'd like to have immediate feedback, you can text us at 248-422-0082. And we would love to have a conversation over text. Well, let's get to Michael Spain and this conversation that we're having about suffering and pain and loss, but also how we might be able to move through that in community and individually to find something more that may exist in the midst of it. Let's take a listen together. Sitting at the table with me today is Michael Spain. Uh, Michael and his wife Gina are New York Times best-selling authors of the book The Color of Rain, which was made into a Hallmark movie of the same name. He is also a speaker. He works in business and finance. He spent time as a member of the Second City Comedy Troupe in Chicago, where he hails from. He's also one hell of a golfer, Michael Spain. One hell of a golfer. <laughs> and you like to tease me. To no end on the golf course, because I am not one hell of a golfer, but he is also someone that I really do consider a treasure in my life and a wonderful friend. Welcome to The Open Table. Thank you. This is a joy to be here. Yeah, I'm grateful. You know, we have spent many hours talking about the topic that we're going to sort of wade in the water a little bit today and address, talking about suffering, talking about pain, talking about love and loss and longing and how to work through all of these kinds of things as we're embracing our faith, as we're embracing reality. Not with some kind of like false hope, but actually really looking at the reality that's in front of us and also trying to hold on to a real sort of hope. And so I think our our listening audience would benefit greatly from just hearing a little bit of your background, a little bit of your journey of how you really have arrived at this space in time in your life and some of the, the thoughts that you've, you know, that's what we're going to play out, some of these thoughts that you've learned on this on this way that I think are our absolute goal for for everybody well uh, when it comes to suffering um, the Lord has certainly put us on a path that has included that in our lives um, but that's not unique so uh, I come from Chicago as you mentioned uh, was a child of divorce uh, that in itself is uh, its own brand of suffering hmm. uh, especially for children 
but was blessed to find love in my own life with Kathy. We um, were raising three beautiful children, the dog in the yard, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the suburban dream. And, uh, and then she developed a headache one, one day. Hmm. And uh, as she said, this one, this was different. It wasn't her typical migraine or... And uh, that went away. And then the next day came back a little worse. Then that went away again. And uh, the next day it came back and it wouldn't go away. So we went in and had her checked out. It turned out to be inoperable brain cancer. Hmm. Now, um, our experience with cancer was um, on the heels of another family in our area, which was the Kell family. Matt and Gina Kell were married 13 years. They had two boys of their own. And the only reason that that's relevant is that Matt Kell and my wife, Kathy, they grew up together here in Michigan. Hmm. They were classmates all through school, actually, all the way up to Michigan State. They hung out. They knew each other, went off, created their own families, and now we're back in the same town, but not necessarily, I had never met their family. I just knew of them. Mm-hmm. And Matt himself had gone through a three-year cancer journey that ended um, just a few weeks before Kathy was developing her headache. So Kathy was at his funeral and, um, and now was diagnosed herself. In the end, we only got 17 days. Uh, she, from diagnosis to her passing was wow. 17 days. That is so fast. It was. It was, it was almost violent um, in, its, in, in, in how it played out. Yeah. It was shocking to the system. It was all the things you might think. And all of a sudden, I was a single father of three kids under the age of nine. And uh, it, was, it was staggering the, the the grief, the loss, the pain. Um, so uh, just to fast forward the story a little bit, um, through church and through some circumstances that w- w- uh, we detailed later in the book, I ended up meeting Matt Kell's widow, Gina. And the kids, we got the kids together originally because we thought we want them to know that there are other kids like them. They're not, you know... When, when you're four, five, six years old, you don't want to think that you're different from everybody else. You want to fit in and you want to... So we, we got them together for pizza one mm-hmm. night and they clicked immediately. They became five friends <laughs> instantly. Yeah. And ultimately, Gina and I became friends. That went on for many months and it wasn't until, I don't know... <laughs> quite a while into it that as I've described before, sort of the fog of grief begins to to lift just a little bit. And you realize that you're sitting next to a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? (laughs) You go, whoa, you're a girl, you know? And so we, uh, we kid around because everything we did was as a group of seven it was for the sake of the kids, whether we hung out in, in, in the backyard or we went to, you know, corn mazes together or whatever. It was always this group of seven. And Gene and I literally snuck out for one date alone. We had one date. At, but, you know, look at me. It was a great date. Hey, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so ultimately, about two years later, we married and created a little Brady Bunch here in Michigan and started raising the kids together. And it was, it was beautiful. And 
right around that same time, we realized that um, what we had experienced was brutal. Yeah. But we were blessed with resources and community, um, our neighbors, our church, our family. We were surrounded by love that that we were able to lean on and um, basically help us get up off the floor. Yeah, and when you when you guys came together, obviously as families, and you're healing alongside one another, at some point you guys decide to document that into a book called The Color of Rain, and. Uh, I find that book for our listeners, I would say, go out and buy it and read it. It's it's a stunning story. It's it's wild how God kind of brings all of these elements together, you know, yeah. and you tell the story in two different voices that are running simultaneously side by side. What I love about the book is it starts to talk about practical things, about loss and suffering and faith, and you're raw about it. You're honest about it. And that's part of the, the the part of our conversation that I've always found to be very helpful is some of your, you know, you, I would say you're, I'm not going to call you like cynical, but you're skeptical by nature, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe a touch cynical, but oh, you think, but you have, um, you have a unique journey in your faith. And what I would say to you is you are skeptical. You do tend to like waver a bit in that kind of camp of doubt maybe at well times. you know that's that's been you know people talk about love languages that's sort of my faith language um hmm. uh, yeah the, talk about that yeah absolutely so um I, I i was raised roman catholic irish catholic west side of chicago and in our book i i affectionately refer to that part of the world as skeptic valley <laughs> because of all the doubters and cynics and just lapsed faithful running around the place and at the top of the list was my family we we were taught from a very early age not just in matters of faith but in matters of everything question authority question make make sure that you're getting the authentic deal mm. and um, certainly when it came to matters of the church we began, I began at a very early age, my late teens and early 20s, to delineate between faith and religion. Talk about that. What do you mean? Well, I, I never once questioned God. Hmm. I always questioned the men of God. I always quite, I used to point to the, you know, I used to point up to the heavens and say, I've never questioned him. And then I point down and say, I've always questioned them. The, the people who appoint themselves or who are appointed by other people to be the messengers and men of God who create the house of God. Who and create, women. And women these <laughs> yeah. days. But back then, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about course, in those yeah. days, women were not any, allowed anywhere near the church. There you go. Yeah. In, in positions of authority. And still today, many in many in many religions, that's the case. Yeah. So, so the the, the man made machinations of of church, of religion, of of how they wanted, how they insisted that our faith manifest, yeah, became the source of my skepticism, became um, or the target of it, I suppose. And um, but at no time did my faith ever waver in God Himself. Hmm. I, I will say that during those times, my faith wasn't what, what people refer to as a very mature faith. I was not deeply in the Word. I was not in Bible study. Um, I just had a, a simple and unabiding faith. Almost innate. 
it was innate. And you hear about people who, well, I believe because my parents believed, or I, I have faith because that's what I've always had. It was almost the opposite for me. Like, given my background, I shouldn't have had faith hmm. <laughs> because I was surrounded by a lot of really, you know, bad guys who were doing really hypocritical things in the name of God. Hmm. And that should have shaken my faith in God. Now, what it did was it created this this questioning man that to the outsider looked like someone who was challenging God, but what he really was doing was seeking God. Wow. And that's a good point, actually, because sometimes we we can misdiagnose the idea of someone that's being critical of the church or of church leadership or of ideas or religious, you know, as someone that is that is that doesn't want to have anything to do with it yes. yet many times it's someone that's just searching and pursuing something of truth that's resonating with or even them. scripture itself right because i was never looking for a gotcha moment i was never looking to prove scripture wrong i was always looking to understand scripture mm, beautiful and 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 in that search it led me closer to Jesus. Hmm. It led me closer to God. And that was just how I am. There are people who who express their faith differently. The way I do, and and by the way, this this kind of spills over into my life. You know, how I express love for you is by asking you questions about your life hmm. and about your and about your ideas. I want to hear even politics. I want to hear your ideas on politics, not so that I can get you, but so that I can get you. Well, and isn't that something? Because probably what I see right now in our culture that is probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and it's come certainly into under the microscope since you know the last maybe yeah. seven, eight years, is two things. One is that we can't do that with each other. We can't have a genuine interest in a view that's way different than ours because our our culture is getting pulled and pulled and pulled, not only just the culture, but within the the, the church institutions as well. You know, everything is be- yep. becoming polarized. And then also what, what my wife and I talk much about in faith communities is our loss of critical thinking. Oh, boy. Yeah. And it's almost like if we indoctrinate our children to think like us, we've won, we've done the right thing. <laughs> Instead of saying, no, you know, we want our children to do what you're talking about right now and be able to say, hey, we, I want to ask questions and I want to be inquisitive and I want to have intellectual humility and curiosity well, and move into something that is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. There also seems to be this fear that if I understand you, that means I agree with everything that you've said. So I don't even want to understand you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, I've never thought of it. And that the way. truth is, I want to understand you so that I can, I can acknowledge our differences. Maybe, God forbid, I could celebrate our differences. <laughs> no, you know, just the i. We we are so afraid of hearing new ideas for fear that number one, our old ideas might be wrong. Yeah. God forbid. And number two, I don't want to give anyone the impression that I agree with him. And all I really want to do is understand him. I think your mindset is curious to me because now with that mindset, and then all of a sudden you have your wife come down with cancer and you have to process that. And then you have 17 days and then you're in the midst of, okay, now what do I do? Um, You know, 
how do you how do you handle that like yeah. like were there moments in that where you did doubt god or where you you said you've never doubted god you more doubted them not him were there times when you wrestled that way and if you did how so so i'm a human being right so my mind and and <laughs> much much to the frustration of a lot of the people around me my mind just whips in a lot of different directions simultaneously so and yes, so, i know that and sometimes that <laughs> spills out you know while you're putting for instance on the green <laughs> so anyway that's actually true uh, no um so sure i'm human and I, I i guess i would try to parse that emotion out this way i never doubted god I disagreed with him a couple of times. <laughs> um, people used to say, when you're in that, that, literally in those days after, the love of your life has died. And, and equally horrible, your children's mother has died. Yeah. People say, well, it's part of God's plan. Oh, those right? spiritual platitudes. Right. Just All those it. cliches, right? And you go... And I and I actually found the voice to say it out loud. Well, I just think that God's plan sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but that's funny. Right? Yeah. That, so, but think about that in a second, because that doesn't doubt him. It just says, I'm I'm a little pissed that your plan included this. Yeah, it's almost is almost uh, it's almost harkens to the Psalms, you yes. know. It 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 literally rejoices in my suffering that and people so think hard. people think Gosh. of rejoicing only as throwing new year's eve parties when we just won the lottery right that's the only kind of rejoicing that we that's the context of those of that scripture and of that word yeah. right but to me you can celebrate someone you can celebrate our creator simply by acknowledging their sovereignty in your life mm. and one of the ways you 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 do that because we're human is by saying, I don't understand this. That, that emotion in and of itself recognizes his sovereignty. You know, the, the thing that most people will go to is why would a, why would a loving God allow suffering? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm with, I'm walking with a friend of mine right now that is asking those very, same questions he's going through a very difficult breakup and and he continues to come back with why would god allow this why would god allow this and it starts kind of creeping in that that line yeah, of thinking absolutely. starts to like feed the idea of of doubting and so this kind of we're dangerously close to you know opening up an entire not just a can of worms but a worm factory i understand <laughs> I, I, and, and we can open up the factory if we want but i but i think it's important because yes. if there's one commonality that i've seen in all the years of walking with people through real deep suffering is they usually do ask why like what is this why is this happening and i have a mentor many times that would always tell me don't ask why ask what uh, and I've used that and it's helpful but still there are times when you I'll just tell go, you why yeah so yes but I, I I I feel strongly that fairly quickly and I'm not talking about you know hours or days but as time I, the way I describe grief is there's an acute grief that you feel you know at the moment of loss and then time begins to to do its thing and 
ultimately the rough edges of grief become smoother. They get smoothed out by time. Hmm. So the grief never leaves you. That hole, that void, that loss is always with you. Hmm. So in the acute moments of my loss with Kathy, of course, why? Why me? Why me? But not long after that, as time began to work on my soul, it became why not me? Oh, wow. And Jerry Sitzer, uh, the author of A Grace Disguised, I think A Grace Disguised is the greatest book that anyone can read uh, on faith and loss. Hmm. Um, he writes in there, why not me is, a, is closer to the mark because I wasn't entitled to my wife, Kathy. She was a far better person than me. <laughs> so if everything in the world was fair, right, I, I didn't deserve her. I knew her for 15 years. We were married for 12 and a half. We had three beautiful children. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't entitled to that. So when I say I, I didn't deserve losing her, you're right. You didn't deserve either experience. I have to understand that I don't see the bigger picture, but I have to have faith that there is a bigger picture. And my experience is both joyful and brutal are a part of the author of the universe's story. Wow. Because it comes down to this, and I, this is going to sound trite to you, but to me, this is profound. <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> that Harrison Ford movie, the yeah, Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark, then the, the second one, which I forget, but the third one, which was uh, the, the, the Last Crusade. And they go searching for the Holy Grail. Do you remember this movie? I, uh, vaguely, yeah. Okay. So the Holy Grail apparently has healing powers. If you drink from the Holy Grail, literally, then you heal. Yeah. Right? And so this is a, just a, a, you know, a fun movie. So Sean Connery is playing Indiana Jones's father. And the bad guys, the Nazis, they want to steal the Holy Grail and, and do that. Yeah. So they want Indiana Jones to go get the Grail. And he refuses to do it because he doesn't want to put it in the hands. And plus, he's, he respects God and all of that. So they shoot his father and they say, you better go get it now because he needs healing. And there's this big tense moment. And the Nazis say to Indiana Jones, Dr. Jones, it's time to ask yourself what you believe. Hmm. And in the moments after I lost my wife, I had to ask myself what I believed because... To me, it's a Boolean equation. It's a one or a zero. It's a mustard seed or it's nothing. <laughs> and if it is, if it's a one, if it's a yes, if it's a believe, if it's faith, then many of your answers are there. You may not like them. I may not be at peace with them. I may not agree with them. But either he is the author of the universe or he is not. There's no kind of sort of. I don't get to believe in him when he authors me a good, happy story and hmm. not when he puts me through the trials of my life. Wow. I, that whole why me, why not me? And this why whole, not me? This did you really think, did like, you really think you're going to get through this life without being initiated into the fellowship of suffering? 
Right. I mean, it's at the very core. I mean, we follow a suffering savior. I mean, you know, all of the religions try to get us above it or around it. And Christianity, the unique thing about it is, no, Jesus says, no, I'm going to come to the very center of it and then take to the cross for the joy set before me. So all joy and suffering exist on the cross. It's just this crazy dichotomy in the Christian faith that's yes. so wonderfully, beautifully and horribly played out in front of us within our lifetime. And it's it's not something that you, first of all, it's not something, you know, people shouldn't get me wrong. You don't want to seek suffering. First of all, you don't have to. It will seek you. <laughs> right. You're, but no second of all, it. you know, it was described, and I think it's, it might be Sitzer in his book, you don't want to enter the darkness, but once you're there, you will find others who who are there too. And by the way, everybody's everybody's loss is unique. Like everybody's, and, and nobody's loss is worse than someone else's. Hmm. When I lost Kathy, I thought that's, that's the pit of the human experience. And then I met somebody who lost his wife and his mother and his daughter on a car crash, right? And you think that's the pit, right? Then you meet somebody else. I don't care if it's divorce, if it's estrangement, if it's, you know, personal financial problems, bankruptcy, getting, getting fired from your job or quit, whatever, death, irrevocable loss is, first of all, universal. Yeah. Everyone will experience it. And everyone experiences it a, a little bit unique from each other. Yeah. But the experience itself is, as I've described before, I think it's the connective tissue of the human experience. I love that line. You need to say it again. <laughs> well, I do. I think it's it 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 is when you when you look at any people in this world, and I don't care if they're married couples or they're uh, combat veterans or they're athletes or they're just people, the deepest bonds are formed through shared suffering, hmm. shared challenge, trials difficulties because suffering is the connective tissue and it binds and bonds us together in ways that nothing else can. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. I mean, it's, it's so true. I'm, I'm curious about one, one aspect that we've talked about in faith and suffering, which is prayer. You know, obviously as a, as a pastor and a person of faith and some, you know, I have deep belief in the importance and the power of prayer, of course. And I know that you do too. Yet in so many circles, there seems to be this idea of the vending machine God. You know, if, if we pray hard enough, long enough with the most yeah. authenticity and the most purity and we live the right way and we do these kinds of things, yeah. then when we pray, our prayers are going to be answered in the ways that we desire. And, you know, a lot of that can be very subtle, but it's still kind of rooted in that health and wealth, prosperity, gospel stuff that I I just rail against. I can't stand yeah. it so much. But but you and I have talked about prayer. And uh, recently you, you told a story uh, to me about, about Sammy, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about sure. that. But um, in, in, in the dichotomy in that story, what I took from it was this idea that we're praying for similar things and we get different outcomes. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the role of prayer in yeah. your journey through suffering and even what you guys have experienced in the last several years? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, um, so to give 
further context, um, we, you know, we created this family and, uh, Gina had two biological children. I had three biological children in our family. We don't use the word step. Um, these are our children. Oh yeah. And so I was thinking like, there's no stairs in your house. What are you talking about? You don't take (laughs) steps. We don't, you don't, you don't incrementally grow. You don't like, (laughs) we don't use the phrase that we don't use the phrase stepchild, stepfather, Mm -hmm. step parent and so forth. Um, and so, uh, I, I was, I would, I always thought it'd be an interesting book to write how to blend families in zero steps. I thought that would be a good title. (laughs) That's actually a great title. But, um, so Sammy, uh, was Gina's biological child, but he's my son. And so it was, uh, eight years, he was 14 years old when he was diagnosed with brain cancer and they gave him three to six months to live. Oh man, I remember that. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, just to put a fine point on it and, and just spoil the ending, it's eight years later today. And he is thriving and healthy and has been written up in medical journals as one of the 1% of how is he still alive? Yeah. So um, if you're looking for miracle stories, look up Sam Kell and you'll find something extraordinary. But but yes, when uh, the first time that I ever heard the name Matt Kell, Gina's late husband, was because I was attending a basketball uh prayer group we would pray and then we'd play a bunch of basketball with men on Saturday mornings and we would always pray for this guy named Matt Kell who I'd never heard of oh wow so we were I was praying for him before I ever knew the Kell family right exactly so I knew that there was just a lot of prayer around him he died when Kathy got sick I can't tell you uh just the the prayer chains the prayer circles the prayer the prayer offerings that were all around us and I don't know, international. And she died. We did not get the outcome that we wanted. Yeah. Sam got sick and the same thing happened. And it's eight years later and he has beaten miraculously a disease that should have taken him 14 months after diagnosis. So how do you square those things? Right, exactly. How do you reconcile those things? Because as you talk about, you know, there are a lot of people who look at prayer as some sort of cosmic wishing well. Um, or in the case of these corporate prayer chains and prayer circles went for someone who's sick, it's almost like a prayer telethon. If we, if we get, you know, <laughs> yeah. Jerry Lewis is counting the board. Let's look at the board. We've got a million and a half prayers. God's going to change his mind. So... That has caused me a lot of reflection on the role of prayer. And the best I can express to you is God knows our desires. He knows that we want our loved ones to live. He knows that we want him to heal all the sickness and all of the ills in this world. He already knows those things. So why do we bother to bring them to him? Bring us... Bring, bring me your lamentations, bring me your desires, you know, your petitions. I believe that prayer is as much or more for our sake mm. than it is for his. It's a way to connect to God. It's a way to manifest 
faith and spirituality in a tangible way, in an, in an earthly way, if yeah. you will. Yeah. It's a, and it's also a way for us to continually reflect on and examine what our lamentations are, what our desires and petitions actually are, and whether they are aligned with his will. Mm. Because it seems to me that we are frequently praying to God that he align his will with ours. And that seems backwards to me. Mm. My prayer ever since Kathy died is, has been, please give me the wisdom and the sight to see your will so I can align mine with that. That's beautiful. And so when people say things like our prayers were answered, that, that I cringe a little bit at that. I understand what they mean, and that may just be a limitation of their own, you know, verbiage and what they're, what they're able to articulate. But for me, when I prayed for Sammy to be healed, and now today he's thriving and, and, and by all intents healed, I thank God that his will lined up with mine at that moment. And I, and I pray for the strength because I know there will be moments ahead when that won't be the case. So thanks be to God that in this case, our, you know, my desired outcomes aligned with yours. And please, Lord, give me the strength for when they don't. Yeah, I mean, prayer is a deep thing. It's deep theologically, even for our listeners right now. All of us are going to have different beliefs and theological takes on that, different kind of teachings that we've held on to. So it's not... We're not, this is a thought about prayer between us, you know, but it's not the thought about prayer. And I understand that, but I do think that what you're saying is, is profoundly true because when we pray, there is a sense that it is a language that can connect us. So in some ways, maybe it's another version of connective tissue (laughs) for our humanity, uh, a language that can can elevate us, connect us, create a communal experience so that we're we're suffering and we're connected to each other, you know, in this kind of communal experience. Maybe that's another benefit of prayer. I think I've seen that for sure. Yes. Yeah, completely. It, it, there's there's great comfort in in that shared experience. Um to, to and and through prayer, people are demonstrating their love. Yeah. Um and that's a beautiful thing. So, uh, you know, however that, that manifests in everyone's life, it's, it, w- the bottom line is it's an expression of love. Yeah. And it's connecting us to the very course, you know, source of love. It, speaking of communal experiences, maybe this is a good transition into the idea of you, you tell some incredibly powerful stories uh, outside of just your book, but just in general about the role of community in suffering. You were, you were definitely a person of like, you know, maybe at least how I understood you, you may not be that way now, but I think you still have a tendency to be like, I can do this. I'm just going to do it. You know, like a little (laughs) bit more independent at times. But when you, when you hit that moment where it's like, I can't do this on my own you discover that community is deeply important. So, so yeah, I mean, to, to, to once again sort of parse out the words more succinctly, what I realized um, 
was that I wasn't doing it on my own. Mm. That's good. I was doing it with God. Yeah. If no one else, God was never not at my side. And acknowledging that is a, is a surrender of its own um, and, a, and, a, and a humbling of one's nature, which, which allowed me to open up to the people that God was sending me. Hmm. Um, there's, there's a number of stories I've tell, I tell in the book. I, I was the recipient of incredible love and, um, and help. Uh, and it came in every kind of way. I mean, it came from my in-laws and, 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 and my, my own family, my father and my sister and brothers. Uh, it came from my children. They gave me, uh, you know, reasons to get up in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, and it certainly came from Gina. You know, she and I met each other in the midst of grief. I mean, right in the middle of grief. And what was extraordinary about her was she treated me like a normal man. Everyone around me was very solicitous, walking on eggshells, trying not, you know, I was the widower and everyone was just trying to do everything and not upset me and be solicitous to me. And, and Gina, you know, God bless her. She came in and was like, I don't care. I, I, I'm in the same place you are. So she, we, all of a sudden there was somebody talking to me normally. Isn't that kind of Gina in general? Oh, though, please. <laughs> she, she's been hitting me with frying pans ever since. But, she, but that was so beautiful to, to have someone speak to me just like a normal man. Because the truth is, in, when, when you go through a loss like that, when you lose a spouse, uh, and, and, and my, my very good friend Carl Gaelic, who was my pastor at the time, he told me something that I had never considered. And this was weeks after Kathy died and we were talking. He said, you got to remember that you're not just grieving for the loss of Kathy, you're grieving for the loss of who you were that day. The oh, day wow. before she died, it was Kathy and Michael. Kathy and Michael, you were married. You were an, you were a certain kind of guy, and and by the way, you loved that life. And now, you are being made into something else. Yeah. So that guy died that day too. You're you have this dual mourning. Yeah. Well, and 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 you know, people talk about people talk about grief as being you know. You're buried under grief or you're, and, and I always like this, uh, you know, it's a little cliche, but I like it. Are you, have you been buried or have you been planted? Mm. Is, is God growing something new? Wow. And by the way, if so, if you're a seed in the ground, in order for something, a new oak tree to grow, what's the primary thing that a seed has to do? It has to cease being a seed. Yeah. It has to be willing to become transformed into something else. Yeah, it's got to break open. And by the way, know. I liked what I was before. I was comfortable. I that's who I had grown into. And now with an earthquake, God was creating something new. He was writing a new story. And I was going to be a part of it. And this was and this was earth shattering to me because I was a cynic and I was I was immature in my faith. I had not dove into scripture the way I have now years later, but I realized that Kathy had made it home to her 
reward to her salvation. Mm. And there was a sense of good for you, Kathy. And that goes, that goes back to what, what, you know, what do you believe? Yeah. It's torture for me to have to live without her. But number one, I know that she is at home with God. So good for you. And number two, I trust that God is creating something new in me. And it's up to me to uh, be open to that. Yeah, embrace that. It's powerful. There's a phrase that I heard years ago. I don't know who said it originally. I'm sure you've heard it. You heard me say it and heard a, you know, our community say it many times, but your pain becomes your platform. Okay. You know, your wound becomes your weapon. I don't know. Your, right, right. Your sure. hurt becomes your, you know. Yeah. It, it's the idea that when, when, you're, when your open wounds become scars, you know, you can press them without a reaction, but you're reminded of where you've been. And because of that, you many times get placed into um, situations where you can uniquely speak into that. Have you found personally and with Gina that out of this pain, you have found uh, a bit more of your purpose or been able to meet people in unique places? Well, yes. Um, I think that that's just a natural uh, evolution for some. It's not for everyone. Right. That's what's um, so interesting. I have a relative of mine who um, people can't talk about the loss of Kathy with him. He's too emotional. And they take that emotion as being um, harmful to him. And so they don't want to upset him kind of thing. And he shares with me privately, he says, you know, yes, I might cry, but the, those are good tears. So he doesn't get a chance to articulate or speak into other people as often as I think he would like to. So that's just the world sort of reacting, right? And yeah. then there are other people who, when they when they suffer a loss like this, their pain doesn't become their platform. It's more their their pain becomes their personality. Mm. Um, and and those are people who are. There's a difference between um, grief and despair. Yes. I talk, think th talk about that. Yeah, I think grief is 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 a very healthy, necessary emotion. It it sort of defines and honors the love that you had for the individual. Where that becomes problematic is when it slides into despair, where there is no hope for for um, anything new to grow, hmm. and. Um, and, and then what happens, I, and I've witnessed it in people I, I, I love and I've, I see it. I've seen it years later now. It is almost as if now that's habit. And I, I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't know what, what goes on clinically, but I do see how it manifests in day, daily life. And it's almost as if they put that grief on in clothing every day and that becomes part of their personality yeah it's almost like they've made a road in their mind you know they i mean that is how the brain works you can just yeah. wear a path yeah you know? and and i think i think it goes to there are people who have this sense of of loyalty and fidelity and a feeling that if they enjoy themselves too much they're being unfaithful to their late loved one 
that they're somehow dishonoring the life and love they had. For instance, Gina and I are deeply in love with each other. We still are deeply in love with Matt and Kathy. I get to be in love with Kathy. Hmm. And she gets to be in love with Matt. I don't know if everybody has that in their lives, if they if they are able to respect that and allow that without feeling threatened somehow. Yeah. I also don't know that if if I didn't have the loss of Kathy sort of to counterbalance that, would I be jealous of Gina's, you know what I mean? The, right, uh, right. All those things are unique and I don't pretend that, you know, they worked out right for us, but I don't pretend to think that that works for everyone. But I think that when when people allow their grief to to slide into despair and and there are many outward expressions of that you can you can point to them there's one two three that's when it gets problematic and to me it's it's part of the paradox of this experience because that doesn't honor those people would it honor you do you want you know if you if you were the one who god took home would you want everyone else in your family to, to to essentially shut down their lives for the rest of their perfectly numbered days? Yeah, right. So f- for me, one of the ways that you can, there, there are some, um, I think that there are some steps you can take, you can sort of force yourself into that create new habits and new opportunities to allow the light in just a little bit. Talk about that a bit, because that is, that is hard sometimes because you can easily fall into moments of despair. What were there certain things that you, that you've done or that you guys have learned even with your own family dealing with uh, some of the, the illnesses that have happened recently? Are there things that bring light? Are there practices? Are there some kind of practical thing that we can put in somebody's pocket? I think that, uh, the, the the primary thing is to find or or keep connection that connecting is the most important thing and yeah, the like isolation you, is dangerous yes. yeah so uh whether that's going to church or whether that's literally going to the grocery store but saying hi to the people in the grocery store <laughs> right. or whether that 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 takes a, a much more active form to me one of the x factors is generosity um, and I don't mean giving of money or volunteering at a soup kitchen, although those things can be very healing. But just a generosity of spirit, a generosity of of communication, um, to give is a very healing experience for humans. And so, how, whatever it is, you 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 whether it's you have let's say you have grandchildren, or let's say you have nieces and nephews, to give them something today your time, take them to the mall, maybe tell them a story, maybe bring them a gift. That is one of the best things you can do for yourself. And what it is, is it's an act of hope. It's an act of future. It's an act of tomorrow. And when you begin to experience those things, you begin to believe that tomorrow can be hopeful. Yeah. And so looking for ways to be generous um, I think is is a great and, and easy way, and it doesn't have to cost you money. Um, just look for any ways for you to connect to someone else. In a, you can go to somebody. 
I've started doing this and I didn't make this up. Someone, I wish I could, somebody on social media suggested this. When I go to the, to, to, to the bagel shop and I know those people are dealing with hundreds of people, I now will say to, I hope everybody's being nice to you today. That's all I say. Has everybody been nice to you today? And they look up like, well, no, I had this person like, well, I hope they're all nice to you. And, they, and that's all it is. It isn't just, how are you today? The generic, how you doing? It's, has everyone been nice to you today? And they look like, my gosh, you care. <laughs> and, they, and they'll smile. They're, that's an act of generosity. That's an act of connection. I've never thought about that. Yesterday I was at the bank and it's newer for me. And they have two tellers in there. And they are the most joyful human beings yeah. I ever I, I've ever experienced. And somebody said something next to me while we were in line, uh, while we were waiting and talking to them and doing our banking. And I said, "This place is there's something about this." And I looked at the the young girl because we I've seen her a lot. And I said, "You know what? You guys are so joyful here. Yeah. I I just like coming here." And she's like, "Yes, like that's our vision." You know, isn't it funny? It's just well, that's but that's, then she said to me, "But you you have no idea how many people." absolutely destroy us all day long and i was <laughs> oh, like are you, and i go are you serious and she's yeah. like yeah and yeah so i was like man yeah but anyways it's just a small little thing that you it don't is. even think and about we can you know um i said this recently in a talk uh one of my new favorite sayings is uh l'eco de piccolo gentilezze it's italian <laughs> the echo of small kindnesses that's beautiful because not only do small kindnesses go out there in the world, but they echo back to you and you feel better mm. for having given something to someone. You feel better. Yeah. It, it works on your spirit. And so I think that when people are in those places of loneliness or grief or despair or in the aftermath of loss, one of the ways, you know, not right away, but when you go and you start to feel lost and you start to feel, I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to get out of this rut. Look for an act of generosity that you can perform for somebody and it can be the smallest thing. And I'll be darned if it doesn't echo back to your spirit and, and suddenly tomorrow you feel a little more energized hmm. and hopeful. That's beautiful. Speaking of echoing, uh, kindness or having these, these little acts of kindness. I would like you to talk a little bit more about the work that you do with New Day Foundation, you and Gina. And because you are having, you are this movement of kindness. It is in, in a lot of ways, it is your platform from your pain and yeah. your suffering. You know, yeah. it has become For that sure. a little bit. Yeah. Talk a little bit more in detail about what you guys do and what you've seen. And yeah, I mean, New Day, um, our mission is to provide financial and emotional support for families fighting cancer, uh, primarily in Michigan. We have helped families elsewhere. A lot of people, when they when they hear the words, you have cancer, they um, are scared for all of the obvious reasons, right? Their health and the, the clinical part of it and what what is treatment going to be like. Very soon after that, they begin to realize that there's a financial impact to it all. So right now in, in America, um, it's the number one, uh, cancer diagnosis is the number one cause for personal bankruptcy in America. Oh, wow. For insured families, families who have jobs and health insurance, uh, it is something like $1,900 extra every month 
a cancer diagnosis will cost you. That's copays, that's transportation, it's prescription drugs. Because take a look at the, you know, think about the practical reality for a little bit. You've got, I don't care who it is, let's say, uh, let's say the wife gets cancer. So the husband has to be caretaker or arrange for a caretaker. Yeah. So he's not working, she's not working. What, what's happening to our income? Um, or a child, God forbid has gets a cancer diagnosis one of that one of those uh, income earners is now only taking care of the child now you have transportation costs you have so and 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 if that family is either paycheck to paycheck which a significant amount of families are or let's say we, you're dealing with a single parent parent household which 50% of our families are yeah and ironically you have <sighs> You have all of this innovation going on in the cancer space right now. Clinical trials, they're beating a lot of cancers. Hmm. If you catch cancer early enough, especially you take breast cancer, there are single moms out there who have breast cancer and they catch it early. And this is treatable these days. But she can't afford to put her babies in daycare while she goes and gets chemotherapy. And we're talking about four or $500 a month for daycare. Yeah. She can't afford it. So she doesn't go to treatment. Mm. Well, now it's not beatable anymore. Yeah. So the irony is she orphans the kids because she couldn't afford that daycare. So New Day steps in and takes care of those things. Household bills. We pay household bills. We don't pay credit cards. We don't pay medical bills, but we help negotiate those things down. We have, um, and so we'll take over, we'll take over mortgages for several months at a time. We'll take over, we'll, we'll fill your refrigerator with food. We'll take over ut utility bills. Um, we'll, we'll get you back and forth to, to, uh, therapy, to, to treatments. And now, uh, when we first started, there was no documentation on this and it, it wasn't even called anything. Well, now it's called the financial toxicity of cancer because there's data now through Johns Hopkins and others where actual treatment outcomes are improved if the financial toxicity of a family is reduced. Yeah, I would imagine. Because now they can comply with their treatment. Yeah. They don't have to, literally you have people who have prescription drugs that cost them $200 a month. And so instead what they do is they literally cut the pills in half and make it last two months mm. because they got to put dinner on the table. Yeah. And so we come alongside and say, no, no, it, comply with your treatment you have a very good chance of survival and we'll help you get to the other side that's beautiful and so we do that and and honestly um all credit goes to my wife gina she runs that place and uh the day-to-day -day and her staff and volunteers um they do extraordinary work and it has been one of the great joys of our lives and privileges of our lives to be able to walk with these families and um Probably the thing we hear the most is it's really great to be able to speak with people who know <laughs> when, yeah. when we get on the phone with them or when we're in the, you know, in their homes, uh, dealing with them, or even in the hospitals, they know that we know. Yeah. Again, the connective tissue. Exactly. Yeah. Of suffering. And so there's an automatic respect. There's an automatic empathy and there's automatic, um, understanding and so we know each other, and therefore we understand each other. Now, if you don't mind me bookend this thing. Please. What we started talking about at the very beginning, you know, these are families that 
I don't know everything that they believe. I don't know that everything that, you know, I don't, I don't know how they vote. I don't know how, right? Yeah. But I understand them a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't mean I agree with everything that's going on in their lives, but I understand them on a human level. I understand some of their needs right now. And I have the capacity. God's blessed me with the ability to raise money, collect it, and help the least among us. And, And so I'm not afraid of meeting these people where they are and understanding them. It's, in fact, life-giving. <laughs> I'm not sure we could end any better than that unless you have <laughs> you have a bit of a last thought for our community after this awesome conversation. Well, I mean, I have several thoughts. First off is uh, if you're ever playing in the group ahead of Danny Cox on a golf course, wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first and foremost That's the thought. the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> And by the way, speaking of the power of prayer. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Oh, dear. You'll cut that out. Uh, No, I, I, you know, loss is inevitable. Grief and pain is inevitable. Rain in our lives, you know, is inevitable. It's, It's how you approach those things. It's how you respond to those things that makes the difference. Um, can you allow the rain of grace to fall Hmm. in your lives and allow God to grow something new? If you can, then you can have a pretty interesting life. You can have a pretty faithful life. I'm, you're not promised a happy life every day. You're just promised an eternal life. That's beautiful. Michael Spain, thank you. Thank you for leading our community. Thank you for being a good friend. Thank you for being a faithful follower and a lover of people. We're so grateful to have this conversation. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Michael Spain. I am just so grateful for our friendship and grateful that you would take the time to share with this community, wherever you are around the world, listening to the open table we're glad that you pulled up a seat we're glad you listen you know there's something magical about the people that go through the hardships of life embrace that as best they can and then come out the other end and be willing to share uh, the wisdom that they found and it helps all of us uh, traverse those very difficult times that we're all going to have we're either coming into a storm coming out of a storm or we're in one right now and so we need each other to help uh, really navigate these hard times. So thank you so much. You know, we don't take it for granted that you would spend an hour with us. Your time is valuable. It's the one commodity we can't get more or less of. And so thank you for spending this time with us. And until next time, we hope that you discover a little bit more of who God is, who you are, and how to love your neighbor well. We'll talk to you soon.